Welcome to Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And we are here to discuss Season 4, Episode 10 of Farscape. Coo. Bye. Clam. Okay, here's the thing. Here's oh god, that name. Yeah, okay, okay, here's the thing. I, I, for weeks, for months, really, have been prepping you for the worst episode of Farscape. And honestly, this wasn't. This was not the worst episode of Farscape, and there were even some strong jokes and some strong emotional moments in it. I also remembered it as being super transphobic and was pleasantly surprised to find that it was only base-level man-in-a-dress-isn't-that-funny transphobic and not, like, what I was remembering. So, yeah. yay to that! Mildly transphobic and a little homophobic, but I guess those two things go kind of hand-in-hand. Because it's about, like, masculinity and gender roles and, like, all that jazz. But! Yeah, there's some sexual assault themes in this episode. I, I feel like we should give you a heads-up on that front. It's nothing as explicit as we've seen in this show in the past, but there are some things that if you think they might make you uncomfortable, you might want to know about of this one. Yeah, yeah. Or just, you know, be prepared. Yeah. But, having said all of that, I do feel like someone came up with the most disgusting title they could and then worked backwards from there yeah it's it's a pretty gross title it's uh it's pretty nasty it's a gross double entendre just to be clear there's nothing gross about vaginas or vulvas or any of that that's all fine i mean referring to them as clams is kind of gross though yes that is what is gross and then the fact that they were like okay so we have to find a way to make mollusks deadly, and then we have to put them on a planet that, despite the fact that it's an alien planet, enforces rigid binary gender roles. Ferengi! Sorry. With, like, an oppressive patriarchy. Ferengi! And then we have to have the women resistance be using these mollusks to assassinate, these deadly mollusks, to assassinate the men so that we can say, heh <laughs> clam. That is also disgusting. That level of sweaty punnery is disgusting. Okay, this is going to sound like a diversion, which it kind of is. What? What a new and exciting thing for us. Yes. I was doing little bunny foo-foo with, uh, <laughs> okay. with our toddler, you know, the whole, you know, little bunny foo-foo hopping through the forest, scooping up the field mice and bopping them on their head. And uh-huh. it occurred to me that it is a lot of buildup. That is an incredibly long song. It's like, it's basically a singing game, but it's an incredibly long song that's just building up to the hair today, goon tomorrow, but it takes like three minutes to get there. But and also, it doesn't work because what what is a goon? Like, that always bothered me as a kid, right? If well, I see you... Bob- little Bunny Foo-Foo is not a well-constructed narrative. Okay, like, yeah. Like, why is, the, why is the good fairy giving Little Bunny Foo-Foo all of these chances? Also, is turning into a goon going to stop him from bopping field mice on the head? Like, it was the one thing she was holding over Little Bunny Foo-Foo, which, to be fair, was not working. But, like... 
there's so much buildup. Uh, for for our audience who doesn't have toddlers or remember when they themselves were toddlers or perhaps don't live in America, I would hope other countries don't subject their children to this. Little the bunny, story of little bunny foo-foo. Was hopping through the forest, scooping up the field mice and bopping them on the head. And then the good fairy says, if you don't stop, I'm going to turn you into a goon. I'll give you three chances. So you have to repeat the whole song three times. Because as you said, it's just a song game, right? And then it's... Hair today, goon tomorrow. I, can because, I? Because little bunny Fufu at no point stops bopping the field mice over the head. Okay, can I be honest with you? Yeah. I have never researched it. Mm-hmm. But that song has always made me uncomfortable because I've always assumed that there's a racist progenitor to that song. Yeah, probably. I mean, yeah, I can, I can see that. It's one of those things that feels like it probably has racist roots, even though you can't quite see it right off the bat. Or like the Eeny Meeny Miny Mo song. Oh God, that has oh. It has a, no. Yep, yep. I'll let y'all Google that one. Or don't. Or don't! Or just or just trust <laughs> that everything is terrible! The past was a mistake, as, as Pop Arena is, as the YouTube channel Pop Arena is fond of saying. Oh. Accurately so. Oh. Uh, Farscape. Farscape. Also, I mean, this is related to the episode. The gender thing seems massively irrelevant. This could be the same story with literally anything. Yeah, but then you couldn't call it coup by clam. Yeah. Also, then you wouldn't have the hilarious thing where you put Ben Browder in a wig. Oh my god, so funny. Okay, I was going to save it for when they actually put him in the wig, but I'm just going to mention it now. Ben Browder's female disguise look doesn't look so much female as it looks... Cyclops from the Age of Apocalypse. Right. I mean, all they do is put Ben Browder in like a long scraggly wig, which I'm going to be honest with y'all is not a terrible look for Ben Browder. Yeah, no, they just they give him a long wig and they put some uh eyeliner on him. And and I am on record. I am on record as loving the eyeliner look, especially on a guy with long scraggly hair. I mean, I have a type. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't look it doesn't make him look female so much as it makes him look glam bandy. Yes! Which, again, Age of Apocalypse. The glamest of all dystopian... Uh, Not that... Like, hell dimensions. Alternate timelines, I guess. I'm sorry, I've been watching Buffy, so... I just... In a world with such an enforced gender binary, because let's let's be honest, like, performance of gender is is both a spectrum and relative and all of that... But on a world where it is so strictly enforced, the fact that Ben Browder walks in in this scraggly ass wig and they're like, ah, yes, I recognize this as a woman is honestly kind of insulting. Okay. I just I have so much in this episode. You and know what? They- it feels extraneous too. like it. There didn't need to be a weird gender thing on this planet. Okay, so I have to talk about... You know what? I'm going to say this about gender on this planet. Okay. Okay. I've, I've actually just had a revelation about gender on this planet. Okay. So I've told you, Max, the story. And I actually think I've told this story on mic before, too, but I'm going to tell it again. When I was in college, I had a friend who was a guy with, like, really long hair. He'd grown his hair out long. And one day I came upon him trying to, like organize his hair with like this teeny little scraggly ass comb Mm -hmm. and i was like what do you not have a brush do you need a brush and he said no brushes are for girls i'm a boy i use a comb and i was like dude no 
your hair is longer than mine. You need a brush. Right? Like. Wow. It's just like the ultimate, like, pointlessly gendered, right? Okay. So. Later on. Paper for women. (laughs) That is not a thing that I have ever experienced. Anyway. Later on in this episode, we're going to meet a mechanic who is a woman disguised as a man, except that, <sighs> right? But then the disguise is, is not a disguise because the only thing is that she has short hair. Other than that, there's there's no disguise. And furthermore, at the end of the episode, when she's like, whatever, time to go back to the planet and I'll just assume a new disguise and do whatever, it's fine. She takes off her short hair and reveals that it's a wig over long hair so why not just cut your hair because they can't because the hair is the only defining sex characteristic on this planet and women have long hair and men have short hair like she physically can't cut it it's not dead skin cells like it is in humans and sebaceans it's like alive and it is their primary sex characteristic And that is why she has to put it underneath a wig. And that is why when Ben Browder wears a wig, everybody's like, ah, okay, that works for me. That is my theory about gender on this planet in this episode now. Okay, last divergent before we go. That wasn't a divergent. That was a a straight up theory. uh, Okay, go ahead. Diverge. I heard a theory. I don't remember on what podcast. I think it might have been I Will Fight You's thing on the He-Man Christmas special. Okay. But it might have been something else where they were discussing the fact that uh, nobody can tell that He-Man and Adam are the same person, even though they have the same face. Like his transformation just changes his clothes. It's yes. that It's that meme from uh, Twisted. Sure, sure. Because it's you, you're just wearing different clothes. But the theory was that in Eternia... People aren't recognized by their faces, but rather by their legs. Because Adam wears leggings, but He-Man doesn't. So. All right. And it's the same thing with Adora. Adora wears leggings. She-Ra doesn't. So that's why people can't tell that they're different people, even though they have identical faces in both of their forms. To be fair, changing your hair can be surprisingly effective. Just Google Zoe Deschanel without bangs. Yes, that would be that's a good point for Shira. Adam has the same haircut as He-Man and as uh, Adam. Good point, good point. Although there was a revival in um the early 2000s mm-hmm. where Adam was like I was trying to think of a nice word. I mean it's not a bad word, but he was a twink. Uh-huh. So like He-Man had a completely different body type and I'm like, yeah. See, that makes sense. But obviously they weren't going to do that in the 80s cartoon like, that had a budget of $15. So we are on Moya. We are on Moya. And everybody is eating. And Sakozu especially is just like going to town. We learned in a previous episode that her race only eats like three times a year, which means that she like, this is her storing up for winter or whatever. And Aaron's like. Worst time for it. Well, you know. Yeah. They they found a planet with food is the is the kind of upshot. So they finally found a planet with food and with a mechanic who can fix Moya because Moya is just being tortured by being here in the tormented space. I do like that the reason it's tormented space isn't because, I mean, 
is what they suggest, but it's not because they're worse criminals or anything. It's that the environment is that much more actively hostile. Yeah, there are, like, radiation sources. There's, like, some sort of weird static field that makes it physically painful for Moya to fly through it. And because of that, it's taken them a long time to find a planet with a mechanic who even has heard of a living ship because they they just can't survive in tormented space. It's a really interesting idea. I, I like this concept because it, it was seeming a little, I'm not trying to smack talk supernatural here, but it's just the example that of escalation problems that always comes to mind. You know, they've been dealing with the uncharted territories, the most dangerous place in the universe for so long. Saying, oh, wait, there's a place that's actively worse, feels a little, we beat up the devil, now we have to beat up the devil's big brother, Steve. Yeah, um, Stargate did that a lot. Oh, we killed the most powerful Ga'uld, that created a power vacuum where all these other powerful Ga'uld came up. And now they're even more powerful than the most powerful one, because something, something, something. We got a little bit of that in Charmed, but... Also, you're not really supposed to take any of the later turned villains that seriously. I thought you were going to say you're not supposed to take any of that seriously. All right. So there is a physician on the ship. And he's the one who gave them the worms that they're all eating. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But he's okay. This this part of the plot bothers me because it doesn't. Well, I guess it's fine. It's fine. I was going to say the only reason it exists is to get him onto the ship so that he can meet these people and do his extortion plot that he's going to do. But you know what? That's fine. That's how plots work. It's fine. It's fine. The reason that he's on the ship is because everyone on this planet is super, super afraid of space madness. No reason for space rudeness. It's future Amatadas. So he is testing the crew so that he can certify them space sane and they can go down onto the planet. And there's this very, I, I guess we're taking a break from eye stuff. He shoves this sonic screwdriver up, up John's nose. And like, he says, this won't hurt a bit. And John's like, Oh great. That, that is not good. And then he turns it on and it fries the inside of John's brain. We can see his skull through his head. It's very cartoonish. And he's like, oh, opening credits. Graza is barely in the opening credits, by the way. Like, I know that she's not really the real big bad. Like, they're obligated by, I guess, tradition or whatever to be being chased by an insane military commander. So they actually changed that line. The line from the monologue, I'm being hunted by an insane military commander, has been changed to, I've made enemies, I've made powerful enemies. So... But there is still an insane military commander out there with boob powers. Don't worry about it. We haven't seen her in forever. I do like how they kind of name check her every so often. They're like, yeah, she's still out there or whatever. Yeah, technically. Technically, she's still chasing us. Eh, it's Graza. Who cares? So, in the dining room, Dargo is allergic to something and he's sneezing, which is causing Naranti to sneeze as well. Uh-oh. What's going on? No, that's a thing. I mean, I know it's something sinister, but it, it's it's a, it's a thing when someone sneezes and it makes you want to sneeze. Right, like yawning. No, that's fine. It is a thing. But what's going on right now is that they're eating the, the mollusks, the quantum clams. Ugh. You can't just put quantum in... Well, I guess you can. It's a sci-fi thing. Uh, so they're not actually called quantum clams in the show. The show 
they're called like Quatal clams, Q A T A L. It's like the name of the region on the planet they're from. Yeah, like Quahog. Right. Yeah, but the a lot of the forums and and message boards and stuff call them quantum clams. Mm. So the deal with the clams is that the flesh can't be divided, right? The doctor who does the examination for space madness has been blackmailing people by splitting a creature into however many pieces. The creature desires to be one. So when it's ingested by these different people, it creates links to the missing parts of itself to draw them back together. And of course, if you're a person who's being drawn in with other people, it's bad. You get connected like psychically, but also there's a kind of, I'm assuming physical component where you get merged into a big gooey ball of flesh until the mollusk reforms. Well, I mean, no, you, well, the thing is you can't reform. So you're just physically feeling what the other person feels until you die from this. Also, apparently the like physically feeling what the other person feels and being drawn to them mimics the symptoms of space madness. So you also get killed by people who are like, oh no, he's gone space mad. Okay. Here's here's the thing. Okay. I'm going to jump ahead here. Mm-hmm. When he goes to... So he's 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 basically extorting them. He's like, I have a cure for it, but you have to bring me money, and then I will give you the cure, right? He, he, needs, uh, he needs one million currency pledges. Remember when we were talking about what money is now here? Okay. Mm-hmm. So he's going to tell them once they bring him the money, once they, you know, deal with it, that in order to do the cure, he needs some more of the clam. So the clams are different colors. And the way it works in this episode is it's been split up, right? So Aaron and Rigel ate the same color clam. So now they're connected. Naranti and Dargo ate the same color clam. So they're connected. Sokozu and John ate the same color clam. So they're connected, right? So this guy needs to go get more yellow clams to save one of the pairs. Every single person who eats any yellow clam is connected to every other person who ate yellow clam, according to the logic of this episode. And we know that's true because of what Scorpius is going to do later. You know our wrong thing, or I guess my wrong thing, that I said earlier about him just splitting the mollusk up into different bits and the bits wanting to be together? Does that make more sense if it's just from one mollusk? Well, I mean, I guess they're like... I guess they're like aspen trees where they're all one organism. Okay. You, you know, aspen trees, they're like all connected by the root system. Like if you see a, a grove of aspen trees, they're all a single tree. Yeah. They're like that. Yeah, but my thing makes more sense, right? Well, but your thing is what happened. It's just that it's been split an infinite amount of... It doesn't make sense! Yeah, no, that's asinine, right? Like... That all of these yellow mollusks are the same mollusk. Something I appreciate about this episode is that large swaths of the episode are dedicated to this guy explaining what the deal is with these stupid mollusks. And John, at several points, complains about the fact that it's all techno-babble bullshit. He doesn't need to hear the dumb, fake sci-fi explanation for what's going on. He just needs a solution to the problem. Okay, no, that was one of the things I loved about this episode. Every time this guy starts to explain how quantum clams work, John is like, shut up, shut up, shut up. I don't care. I don't care. Which is funny, because that's so out of character for John. Normally, John would be like, okay, yeah, no, this is fascinating. This is something I need to know. And Aaron or Dargo would be the ones who are like, shut up. But 
No, I can see just not having the patience for this shit. I was gonna say, thank God that Zan isn't there, because she'd be like, no, the clams must live and be together. But why isn't Naranti like that? Naranti has no problem with, uh... I really love Naranti in this episode. The thing that she does is theoretically not okay, although I guess she doesn't know that it's affecting Dargo, but... It is out of no fucking where. It makes no sense. It is weird, although it is also the plot of a Christopher Pike short story. Oh, dear. There's a Christopher Pike short story. It's one of the short stories in The Midnight Club, mm-hmm. which is, by the way, the book of his that like just blatantly stole from Are You Afraid of the Dark? Even as a child reading it, I was like, oh, somebody watched Are You Afraid of the Dark? Because Are You Afraid of the Dark is The Midnight Society. Here, it's a group of teenagers who are at a... who, who are dying. They, they are living at a, at a hospice. Mm-hmm. And they create this... And the way that they deal with with death is that they have created this midnight club where they tell horror stories to each other. That yeah, they, made up. They, they just made a movie or a TV show out of yeah, it. Yeah, they just did a Netflix TV show about it. Oh, actually, it might have been a movie, but yeah, they just did a they just did a version of it. I haven't watched it yet. I'm interested too because the book really imprinted on me, and what especially imprinted on me is one of the short stories where a person basically makes a genie wish that she have that she be split into two. And one person will always feel what the other one is doing, right? So the one girl, like, stays at home in her oppressive Christian family or whatever. And the other one gets out and, like, lives life and, like, has lots of sex and does lots of drugs and listens to lots of rock and roll. And, like, the one who's, like, bored and home alone, like, is experiencing that. So, like, she's at home watching TV, but also having an orgasm because the other one's out having sex. Anyway, that's literally exactly what's going to happen in this episode. Except less consensual. Yeah. But, okay. So, the doctor is explaining the whole crab thing because suddenly everyone has to poop or whatever because... Oh, yeah, the crabs are also making them very sick because I think because they're trying to get back together. Yeah. It's the the psychic connection and the whole thing that kills you is basically the mollusks all trying to remerge. Right. And they're trying to remerge like from through your stomach. Yeah. Which I would think the solution would be just pooping them out or whatever, but. Nope. Anyway, the military guy in his very Nazi inspired outfit, even more Nazi inspired than the peacekeeper outfits normally are. Shows up with the mechanic to fix Moya, because remember, that's the whole reason they're on this planet, is because they can fix Moya. And the guy's like, by the way, we don't like women on this planet. Just an important thing for everyone to know, we're not fans of women. Also, by the way, Chiana didn't eat any of the mollusk. So Chiana is going to be the one who is taking the mechanic and the military guy around and making sure that, you know, they don't stab moya or something shouldn't he think that she's a man because she has short hair i mean maybe that's why he doesn't mind her showing them around that's true he's not as actively aggressive towards her as say to sikozu yeah god for sikozu you have to eat three times a year and this is the time you chose that is some bad timing yeah because she mentioned, she's like, by the way, I ate like five times as much as the rest of you. Yeah, because she only eats three times Although a year. I guess only of the one color. I mean, I still, it still can't be great. No, but I mean, like, it's weird that she only had the, that everyone stuck to one color of the. 
That is kind of weird. Huh. Yeah, that doesn't seem like what people would do, especially since they make a point of talking about how disgusting it tasted. John said it tasted like dog food. So why why wouldn't you, like, try the others to see if they had tasted better to you? Yeah. Because then the episode would be more complicated. Because then there wouldn't be this one-to-one connection. Because then you wouldn't get the joke where every time Rigel farts, Aaron farts. I didn't need that. I didn't need that at all. Yeah, much like the other episode where everyone had to go to the bathroom. I was going to say it was still less gross than that episode. Yeah, but it was... It was in the same ballpark, though. It had worse seats, I guess. It's less gross. It has worse seats. If it's the grossness ballpark, then being closer to the field would be grosser, right? Yeah, so it had worse seats at the grossness ballpark. That is correct. But yeah, everyone's farting and there's bad stomach noises and they they need to get both the money and the ingredients to stop it. And well, they, yeah, well, they need to get the money and pay the guy. But when they pay the guy, they're going to find out that he doesn't have the clams they need. Anyway, while this is going on, the mechanic is trying to fix Moya. This seems like way too complicated to make money off of consistently. How much? How many tourists are in the tormented space? This is so many steps. So many steps. Anyway, while this is going on, the mechanic is trying to fix Moya, and Sokozu is like down in Pilot's Den. Remember, the whole reason we have Sokozu is because she was an expert in leviathans except she's only an expert on paper she's never seen one she is inside of his little table thing like she is right up next to pilot she physically picks up his claw and moves it to a button and is like you need to shut off these neural clusters and he's like bitch you know no i am like i cannot did the mollusks make you think that was okay sakozu that is not okay Still less irritating than Jewel. Fair. Still less irritating than Jewel. But yeah, Moya's having a rough one because, you know, space is full of pointy rocks and radiation and whale bones and stuff. A lot of stuff has been messing with Moya. Moya needs, I don't know, space Pepto-Bismol. Oh yeah, she needs the pink mollusk. Uh, So, John is having a little talky-talk with Aaron about, you know, he's like, how are you doing? And she's like, well, I'm not great. Also, interestingly, he feels that Sokozu is in Pilot's Den and it's super hot. Like, he feels he feels that. Yeah, they're all figuring out who they're psychically connected to. Right, because Aaron, John, and Dargo have gone to the planet to deal with the physician. And Rigel... Noranti and Sokozu are still up on the ship, right? So it's weird that when they split up into groups, they specifically split along the lines that they're split in. That was a weird decision of them to make. Yeah. But Noranti up on the ship is trying to come up with a cure, just in case this physician turns out to be a total failure, which he is. And while she's doing that, she's feeling... Very excited by this possibility, and the things that she's drinking are making her feel things that are strange and different and new. And yeah, she's she's like she's dancing around, she's drinking, she's shaking her stuff. And on the planet, Dargo's like, mm, "Oh my, oh my!" And now we have a scene which I kind of I kind of like. I mean, it's it's what is happening, but also hilarious, where they barge into the physician. 
John and Aaron have pulled guns, and Dargo's like, oh, hello. Hello, whatever's happening to my body right now. Well, he describes it as, he's like, I'm feeling something from Durante, and they're like, well, fight it. And he's like, yeah, I'm I'm trying, and because Durante has decided to start masturbating furiously in the kitchen. Well, I mean, I think that the thing that she was trying to create to cure her, to cure them was just like a massive aphrodisiac which makes sense because they're because like they're mollusks right like oysters oh okay okay that makes that makes more sense now like thematically it kind of does i I guess i just kind of assumed that naranti is constantly masturbating when no one's paying attention to her which i don't think is necessarily out of character yeah no i don't think that's necessarily false that that could very well be but, yeah, they're trying to threaten the doctor, and Dargo's ruining the whole thing by having an orgasm. And he's explicitly not saying what Naranti's doing, but everyone's kind of cottoning on as he makes sex noises and starts flopping all over the place. And they're like, can you fight it, Dargo? And he's like, oh, God, I'm fighting it. I'm fighting it so hard. And they're like, Jesus Christ, Dargo. They're like, okay, nobody look at Dargo. So the guy tells them that he needs the mollusks to cure the mollusk thing and the only ones he has are purple so he can do the purple mollusk cure which is the one that Naranti and Dargo ingested but none of the others and the rest will be delivered in a few hours and then he can take care of it so which I guess is good thinking on his part because I'm assuming they're just gonna kill him after he cures them this is a terrible plan of his like and I know this is sort of the logline for Farscape, but this really seems like a D&D plot. Oh, this is absolutely a D&D plot. And not only is this a D&D plot, but the thing that happens with Scorpius at the end, which we're going to talk about, feels like feels like a player got an idea that the Game Master was like, well, that was not what I was thinking. And it doesn't really work, but it's interesting enough and it's creative enough that, you know what, I'll allow it. Which is how the best DMs function. You let me abuse Mage Hand kind of a lot in our session. Eh. Which, I'm, I'm sorry, like, there are a lot of things that weigh less than five pounds. I mean, yes, things weigh less than five pounds. What I really let you get away with is that you can't manipulate things with Mage Hand. It's really like Mage cudgel well, i just scooped fire and threw it out of a room that was fire, i think the most fire weighs less than five pounds yeah i guess it sucked for the people who were outside of the window but what would you even say like fire ahoy <laughs> for fire yep yep but yeah the guy keeps on explaining how the stupid fungus works I'm honestly sorry. the orgasm scene goes on forever it really does but the guy starts, the guy's trying to explain over Darko's orgasms about the stupid mollusks, and John's like, shut up! John's like, oh my god, now there are two things in this room I need to ignore! Like, just tell us, like, we, we just need the information to get this over with. I don't care. Which, you know, yeah. I, if you only have so much time to resolve something, you probably don't care about the exposition behind the thing. Yeah. Okay, so back on the ship, the military guy's hanging out with Scorpius while the mechanic fixes the ship. Yeah, Scorpius is not allowed on the planet, not because they're afraid he has space madness, but because he's part Scarin, which is also why they're pretty sure that he doesn't have space madness, because it doesn't affect Scarins, I guess. Yeah, but the military guy seems pretty buddy-buddy with Scorpius, although he is like, so, this ship is a female. 
You fly inside a female? That's disgusting. And Scorpius is like, I well, don't, I, God, whatever. Scorpius, like, knows how to play the game, though. He's like, well, it's a female ship, but it's driven by a male. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, this is really for the sake of us, the audience, to understand how this culture is. And also for this military guy to exposit that a bunch of high-ranking military guys have recently suffered from space madness and had to be put down. Oh, it was definitely space madness and not the mollusk thing that has been revealed to us. Actually, it is the mollusk thing. Down on the planet, an assassin comes in and shoots the doctor. And... The doctor's like, oh no, who shot me? And Aaron's like, I don't know, I didn't see your face. And he's like, oh, it was a woman? Okay, I gotta tell you, I gotta tell you more exposition. And Sean's like, fuck! No! No more exposition! But I guess we do need this exposition. So it's- Remember his friend? Remember his friend in episode one who was like, hey, John, I was just reading Exposition Monthly. Yeah. It talks about how we're childhood friends who created a starship together. Really thought DK was gonna be a bigger part of this series. Like, the fact that they go out of their way to establish that they're best friends, and then he's in, like, one other episode. Well, the thing is, they couldn't get the actor back. Like, they... Was he supposed to be a bigger part of the show at some point? I mean, not the show, but I think, especially when they... The episodes where they go back to Earth, they never got the actor back. Wow. So... You can just recast it. It's fine. Like, it's, it's the 90s. No one remembers what people look like. That's true. 100% 100% true. Hey, it's now when we're having a hard time watching Farscape in a row. <laughs> so, it turns out that the guy, the doctor, he gets these mollusks from the female resistance fighters who are using the mollusks to assassinate men. He basically threatened them when he found out they were doing that, and so now they sell it to him, but it turns out people don't like being threatened! Maybe your whole business model shouldn't be based on threatening people, especially since you already went to medical school. Maybe just be a doctor. I don't know. That's just me. You know what? A lot of people go through medical school and then decide that they're going to be evil. And it's like, that is a lot of work. And you went through seven years of training. Just be a doctor, man. Seriously. So, on the ship, the Dargo and... Sokozu have the cure, so they're going to take the cure. Oh, by the way, we didn't mention, because it's disgusting. Oh, Naranti, I'm sorry. By the way, we didn't mention, because it's disgusting, that the cure involves mixing it with the other person's urine. And then you have to, like, touch flesh. Your flesh has to touch. Oh, so I guess it does make the mollusks merge. Yeah. I guess they, like, microscopically merge, because... It's enough to just hold hands, but Naranti's like, ooh, I'm going to get naked, because she really is just the game master making fun of, of the character of the player who was playing Zan. Yeah, and Dargo's like, oh, I don't want to drink Naranti's urine and touch her boobs for an hour. And uh, is like, do you want to die? And he's like, I mean, I... I yeah, Let me think con- about it. I, I, I am pretty consistently on the edge about whether or not I want to die. So Dargo and Naranti, they take the they take the cure, they clasp hands, and now they're going to sit here for an hour until the mollusks have reattached, which they'll know because their hands will get all slimy. It will form a little slimy film, which I guess is the mollusk reforming. Yeah, and uh, they immediately point out that they're not feeling each other's feelings anymore. Yeah, as soon as you take the, as soon as you take the cure, 
the psychic connection severs, I guess. I guess the mollusks are too busy migrating through your skin to care about making you feel space mad anymore. Okay. Sure. Why not? I do. Okay, this is one of the parts I loved in the show, though. Because, you know, now that this has happened and everything's set, basically everyone just leaves Dargo and Naranti alone because they just have to sit here for a few hours now. And Naranti's like, Dargo, I've so been waiting for an opportunity like this. Please tell me your life story. What makes Dargo tick? And I kind of love that. I mean, come on. Yeah. Yeah, there are good moments in this episode. A lot of the Naranti stuff is... Fun is probably the wrong word, but honestly, the the sequence with her masturbating is pretty funny. That actress, my god. She went all out, and I love that they have her third eye thing blinking all of these different colors. I she, mean, she is destroying that room. We have talked about Ben Browder's stoned acting. Let's talk about Naranti's orgasm acting, because it is... I was going to say a thing of beauty. I think I'm just going to stick with it is a thing. Mm. So Chiana's having angry, sexy time with the woman in disguise. She's like, hey, I can tell you're a woman. Why are you hiding the fact that you're a woman? And okay. Is she? Is she? I mean, she's. Also, like, Jesus Christ, Chiana. Chiana gets violent fast. I I mean honestly if anything this is this is kind like a man in a dress therefore it's hilarious is an inherently transphobic trope but also like you're hiding your gender to trick me is a pretty transphobic trope as well and I just I don't believe I don't believe that Chiana would care to this degree Right? And also that she came from a very oppressive culture. Now, it wasn't oppressive along gender lines, but really, Chiana, this it didn't occur to you that there might be, like, a valid cultural reason that this person has decided to conceal their gender? And and she points out, she's like, uh, look, I disguised myself as a man so I can do the engineering stuff that women are forbidden from doing, but that I really like doing. And she was like, I can't trust you. If you're lying about that, what else are you lying about? And like, no, that would be enough, right? That would be a reasonable thing. Like, yeah, I, is... I, I'm wearing the clothes that allow me to do the job that I want to do. I... But it does end up that she's actually working for the lady resistance or whatever. I mean, who cares? Right. Who cares? You came to this planet for... You came you came to this planet for one thing. Who gives a shit? Uh, I, yeah. So, Aaron learns from the Doctor going on and on about the Resistance fighters that the Resistance has taken a page from Handmaid's Tale and they have a sex club where they sexually entertain men and then assassinate them. So... I feel like this was a big thing in the 90s. Also, I said she took a page from Handmaid's Tale. I mean, Handmaid's Tale is probably not the first the first story to think up that. So I, I take it back. And by the way, I'm referring to the book. Don't don't tweet at us and tell us that the TV show came much later. The TV show is based on a book that is older than Farscape. Just throwing that out there. Anyway, so Aaron's going to go to the club with the women and confront them. She's basically like, well, I'll just go to the source and get the mollusks there. And Sokozu's going to go with her. 
John ties up the doctor just to keep him under wraps while they figure out what they're doing. That See, that was my pun, because he uses ace bandages to tie him up. Yeah. Anyway, then a guy shows up and is like, is the doctor in? And Rigel's like, I'm the doctor! And, okay, I kind of love this. The doctor, we didn't talk about this, but he has this, like, device that he wears on his head that... Like, it has, like, a little eyepiece that comes down over his eye and, like, zooms in and clearly it's giving him all sorts of diagnostic heads-up display stuff. And it's got, like, a little spring thing. It's, like, it's it's a whole steampunk aesthetic thing. And Rigel comes out in his sled throne wearing the thing, but it doesn't fit on the puppet head at all. But he just still has it, like, strung around, strung basically around his head. It's honestly pretty funny and really cute and he's like i am dr rigel and i am here to substitute for the other doctor now take off your clothes and the military goes like really 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 and (laughs) he says he says they're gonna do some preventative bloodletting because most people can benefit from losing some excess body fluid and the guy just turns. He's like, okay, I'm out of here. Yeah, this is clearly, uh, yeah, no. <laughs> He's like, I don't know what I walked in on. I do not care. And John's kind of like peeping through the clear curtain. And he's like, really, Rigel? And Rigel's like, whatever. He's gone now. By the way, I didn't say, but when he comes in, he says he's having a problem with his zymbobs, which are clearly clearly his testicles, right? Mm. At the club, Aaron and Sakozu show up, and the madam is like, oh, are you here for a job? And they're like, no, we're here because we know that you're resistance fighters, and we want to buy mollusks from you because... We hate men, too. We're a part of the anti-man club. Boo men. She's like, you don't look like you hate men. And Aaron's like, you know what? You're right. Whatever. We don't care. We do not give a shit about your planet. But guess what? We do have money and you do need money and we need mollusks. So can we just do a capitalism, please? Uh, By the way, these women are dressed like Xena extras for some reason. (laughs) They are. For some reason. This whole plot is a Xena extra. That's not fair. I've never watched Xena. But doesn't it feel like it could be a Xena extra? Yeah. 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 This this feels like this... With very few changes could have been a plot on Xena, except it would have had more lesbianism and been better. Yeah. So Aaron and Sakozu get beat up for some reason, because I guess when you're a female revolutionary and people show up at your door and offer you money for your mollusks because the guy that you know you've been providing them to was using them to extort them and now they need them to not die and they're willing to pay you a sizable sum of money so that they can have them and not die and then leave the planet so that none of this even matters the reasonable thing is to beat them up question mark profit no one in this episode has a good plan except for scorpius whose plan is so good that the that the game master lets him get away with it even though it's doesn't make any sense yeah like the the whole thing the whole thing everyone's just it's it's that one episode of community it's that one episode of community if everyone's double crossing everyone then nobody has nobody's actually doing anything you're all just doing random stuff for no reason i messed that speech up but it just reminds me of the bit where where annie's like no you're you're everyone's just doing random stuff for no reason so since 
they're connected with the clams to Rigel and John. Rigel and John know what happened, and they decide that the solution is to disguise themselves as women and go to the club, save Aaron and Sakozu, get the clams, and then come back. You know they let men into this club, right? Right? Isn't it? Wouldn't it make more sense for John to show up as a Customer? as a client? Yeah. I don't. I, I gotta say though, John, John with the scraggly ass wig. Oh my god, that wig is terrible. But John with the scraggly ass wig and the eyeliner is like the definition of um, like the kind of dirtbag guy I'm attracted to. Yeah, like John looks really, really good in this thing. He doesn't read female at all, but he looks really good. Like. They didn't even put lipstick on it. Like, his lips are a little shiny, but, like... No, I think he's wearing, like, pink lipstick. Anyway, a guy comes up to John and grabs his ass immediately because that's what is required to happen in these shows, right? It's like, okay, so the thing... He grabs John's Iasa. Yes, John's Iasa! We haven't talked about John's Iasa in so long. Honestly, they were doing so many butt shots with John in, like, the first season or so, and it's been a while since we've seen that john does have a nice ayasa all right here's here's the thing okay i we talked about this we talked about this when we talked about the episode of charmed where prue becomes uh becomes a man by magic by magic and and i i i wanted so i just want to talk about this now at the same time the difficulty in talking about these plots right is that when we say that John does not appear to be feminine, right? Mm. That is intentional. It is intentional that you see John stubble in the scene, even though John is not a character who classic who we normally see with a lot of stubble. You see his Adam's apple very prominently. He's wearing a... Right. And it is meant to be humorous because... He is distrib- he's displaying dis- male uh, right characteristics and secondary gender uh, characteristics, which is what is harmful because by doing that, they're they're signaling this is inherently masculine and it is comedic that a person would have these traits and attempt to pass themselves off as female. Like, that is the harmful message of the man-in-a-dress trope. And that's what separates a harmful man-in-a-dress trope from, like, just a person, like, just a, a person who may have been assigned male at birth, living their life, presenting feminine, right? And I just, it, it, I feel like it puts us in this transphobic trap when we talk about it. I said this on the... Charmed episode. Which I feel like I must say was called... It's a man, baby. Like what She's the, a man, baby. What the fuck, Charmed? Yeah. It's nearly, nearly as bad as Kubai Clam, but not quite. But it puts us in this trap where you're like, oh, John isn't, doesn't, like, they're not even trying to make John look like a woman. But it's like, but that's not, it's intentional that they're doing it. And additionally, I don't want to fall into the trap of being like, a woman must look like X, right? Yes. Like, I, I hate that it makes us have this conversation, but we have to because that's what they're, it's what they're trying to evoke in us. And that, as is... That maleness is, an intrin- is intrinsically 
linked with certain physical characteristics and that if you have these physical characteristics, you can never successfully be feminine. And now for a heaping dose of homophobia, it is hilarious that you can tell that John is definitely a man and that a man comes up to him and is instantly attracted to him and is How like, so- oh, oh, I definitely want to have sex with you. So just a little, just a little dash of homophobia to go with it. And then also, just for fun, just to loop back around, then that also goes back to the, like, trans women are, like, trying to trick people, right? We also- you know what? I said this wasn't any more transphobic than your typical man in a dress plot. But the thing is, when you start talking about the typical comedic, oh, it's a man in a dress plot, it's pretty transphobic. Yeah, to be fair... Go for it. To be fair, the guy knows that John is a man because he, you know, encountered him earlier and... Yeah, it's the same guy who went to the doctor's <laughs> office and saw John and Rigel. It, and he... He's like, you're obviously the same people. You're barely wearing different clothes, but he... And also, you're the only outsiders on this planet. And also, Rigel's a Hynerian, an alien that I have... <laughs> until today never seen before and now i've seen two in one day i don't think so yeah but he is still planning on sexually assaulting john so there's there's just regular homophobia for you gay men are inherently assaulters which was definitely a thing for a while there and thanks to the movements of certain political parties is making a comeback now which (sighs) but on the ship. How how, oh. how did some like it hot do it so much better? A movie that came out in what the fifties. I think some like it hot did it better because, and granted, it's been a while since I saw some like it hot. I mean, same, but. But I think some like it hot did it better because, in that movie, well, 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 they are disguising themselves as women so that they can run off with the female band. So that they can hide from the mafia. That's the plot of Some Like It Hot, by the way. It is an exploration of, like, what does it mean to be a woman? And it doesn't fall on... It doesn't fall... And it doesn't reach the conclusion that to be a woman is something that is inherently assigned to you at birth. So I think that's why it escapes that. Even though, you know, these men are, in fact... They are, in fact, cis men. It's not like they have an awakening. Yeah. But it is It is still respectfully interrogating, like, what is womanhood? And as a separate question, what is femininity? And and reaching an answer that is, that is nuanced and not uh, essentialist. And I think that's why Some Like It Hot is better. Also, it ends on a total banger line. <laughs> the, uh, when, when the uh, guy... You know, t- the, the, t- the rich guy who has taken a liking to to one of the uh... to one of the main characters when the one of the main characters is trying to dissuade the rich guy from marrying him. And he's finally like, like, look, I'm a man. OK. And the rich guy is just like, well, no one's perfect. End of movie. <laughs> like <laughs> he he fell in love with the soul, not the body. And I respect that. That that like. We stand a pansexual king, is what I'm saying. Some like it hot walked so that Mulan, Disney's Mulan, could run. God, this, 
This episode has taken us to some weird places. So back on connecting the- media wise. <laughs> so back on the ship, Chiana is still harassing this poor mechanic, and then the military guy comes across them and is like, "Oh wait, you're a woman? I had no idea, but I better shoot you." And then Scorpius comes up behind him and is like, "Not on my watch!" and just breaks his neck from behind. Yeah, Scorpius is like, "Hi, can we leave now? I'm sick of all of this. Can we just be done? You." Fix the ship. Shiana, don't interfere with her fixing the ship. Done! I do kind of love when we get the shot of Chiana and the mechanic's reaction to what has just happened. Because the mechanic is like, what the fuck? Where am I? What is this ship? Who are these people? And Chiana's like, oh, hey, Scorpio. <laughs> just another Tuesday. I also do like that Chiana and this woman were having this like heartfelt connection, you know. On my world, they're not letting me be who I want to be. Oh, on my world, they didn't let me be who I wanted to be, and they were going to brainwash me. Interrupted by Guy with Gun, Scorpius just does not care about any of it. Scorpius is just like, snap, over. Don't care, don't care, shut up, get back to work. Okay, so now we're at the part where Scorpius has come up with a plan. Scorpius, Scorpius has figured out that everybody else is very sick, they're very close to dying, and they are probably incapacitated, and he has to figure out what to do. And he has decided that the answer is to find more of the mollusks and to consume them all himself so that he is also connected to everyone and that they can take a little bit of his life force and live just a little bit longer so that they can finish doing what they are doing. And that's the kind of thing where I just feel the dungeon master being like, that does, you know what? Good for you. Okay, do it. Well, eat the mollusks. It's not exactly, but it, it does remind me of how uh, Raven's healing powers used to work back in the 80s. Raven but, from Teen Titans. Raven from Teen Titans. Because her original deal was uh, she could teleport. She had the very ill-defined thing with her soul self, which was like an energy bird she could shoot out and it could like wrap people in energy and protect them. But her her main thing other than teleportation was healing, Mm -hmm. was that she could draw other people's injuries into herself and then like purge them because she was part demon. So like being having a broken arm would be like something that she could just kind of shake off more easily than weirdly. That's how Zan's healing worked. Yeah. Yeah. Like I will share your pain. Huh? Interesting. Interesting that Scorpius is basically doing Zan's move here. I will feel your pain. Yeah. Back at the club, the women, the women want to find the men who are connected to Aaron and Sokozu for reasons that are unclear to me. Yeah. Like a, why do they, why? Why Why do they assume that I, whatever, I, it doesn't matter. They're like, look, we know that you're working with men and we know that you're psychically connected to the men because of the mollusk thing. So we're just going to torture one of you and then look to see who in the club is doubling over in pain. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. John is doubling over in pain when they start torturing Sokozu and then they cut to the women in the bar, like, looking around, and they're like, no, no one's reacting at all. Yeah, because John's, like, falling all over the dude who's dancing with him. It's like, this is a terrible plan, because John is obviously reacting. If you can't see that, I don't- You- you didn't notice John- There is a Hynerian in your club! 
club. Your club where we have seen nothing but sebation-looking aliens. I don't know if they're even actually sebation, but they're, they are, they're they not are putting human eff- aliens. They are not putting effort into making people look alien this episode. Like, the doctor kind of a little bit, but he looks more like just the penguin than... It's interesting that you said the penguin, because I was going to say, I wasn't going to bring this up because I don't feel like I'm equipped to talk about this, but I was going to say, he looks like a anti-Semitic drawing. Yes, he does. He does look like an anti-Semitic drawing, which... We're not going to get into it. You know what? There's enough other stuff that we don't have time to get into and yet have been talking about. But like... You know what? This is a real good episode to skip. Not ours. Ours is great. But let's <laughs> skip this episode of Farscape. Yeah. When when we finished, I just remembered like Naranti masturbating. The fun parts of the episode. I was going to list a second example, but one escapes me at the time. I guess the Scorpius idea of him, like, absorbing the pain, that's cool. John not wanting to listen to the doctor's explanation. Yeah, all of the, like, fun stuff stuck with me, but I forgot how much bullshit's around it. There is a lot of bullshit in this episode. I also do like that they're they're going to cut off, um, they're going to cut off fingers. So, yeah. so that as a method of torture so that they can look into the club and see who's like, ow, my fingers feel like they're being cut off or whatever. And Sokozu, who, if you'll remember, has the ability to reattach her limbs, is like, hey, don't cut off my fingers. I'm super vulnerable to having my fingers cut off. Don't throw me in the briar patch. And the head rebellion lady's like, Cut off her finger. She's clearly not trying to do anything. But I also love, as you pointed out when we were watching it, Aaron wasn't there when that happened with Sokozu. She doesn't know Sokozu has that ability. And she's like, no, no, don't do it, Sokozu. Cut off my arm because I am like a warrior. I can handle it. I guess that I guess it's mostly being sold off Aaron's. Because <sighs> Sokozu's being pretty obvious about the, like, no, don't do it to me. Or whatever. Anyway, they're all on the verge of death, and then Scorpius enacts his plan and eats the mollusks so that they all have a few more minutes. And we also briefly see Dargo and Naranti are done joining, so we see what that looks like, which is purple goo. And we also see the mechanic finish putting the dampener, filter, whatever she was doing on Moya, and now Moya, like, is no longer being affected by the radiation. This has this has cured whatever it was that was affecting Moya in the tortured space. So that's good. Tormented space, not tortured space. Neat. So, yay. And also, this is the point where Chiana's like, so what are you going to do now that I totally blew your cover and then we killed that military guy? And she's like, I don't know. I'll go back down to the planet. I'll hook up with the resistance women because that's what I do. And they'll give me a new identity. And that's when she takes off her wig and like shows her long hair. Hence my theory. <laughs> That hair is all that matters for differentiating sex on this planet. She doesn't look any more or less feminine or masculine with longer hair either. Well, no, you joked about how, like, I, you just changed your you just changed your outfit. Like, she had a pixie cut and now she has long hair. It's There's no difference. Like, my hair is that length right now. Yeah. I did, okay, I did kind of like, I did kind of like, I have to admit, when Shiana was like, you're such an optimist and she says that, to be a revolutionary, you have to be an optimist. It is I a very good line. like that. I just couldn't stop thinking about the bit where, uh, what's his face? Not Krang. Um, the, the Star Trek guy, Big Bad. Khan. <laughs> I'm, ke- I'm keeping your fumbling in. They need to know you don't even know who Khan is. Continue. <laughs> the bit where Khan's trying to fix that lady's hair 
but since it's like a pre-styled wig, he can just kind of like move one strand of it slightly. Yeah, and he's like, you look so good with your hair done. And they kept that line in, even though he clearly couldn't undo the wig with all the hairspray in it. Yeah, that's that's definitely the best part of Space Seed. So, John is with this guy and the guy's like hey i know that you're a man and john's like oh i lost a bet and had to wear a dress that's why i'm wearing a dress there's no law against men wearing dresses and because like actually there are because we're an oppressive regime and oppressive regimes are known for really rigid sumptuary laws are you not familiar with your own planet's history do you not know that part of the stonewall riots were because people were like that that a piece of that was that the cops would come in and enforce various sumptuary laws and make sure that people were wearing a certain percentage of clothing that aligned with their assigned gender. And if they weren't, they were arrested. Do you not, you know the history of your people, yes, John? Do you not know that in on your planet right now in the year 2022, some states are trying to re reenact those laws? So. Just saying. This, yes, this is all good and relevant stuff, but really he's talking about how he's still going to have sex with John, even though he knows John is a man, because that's what he's into, and it's, he's like, it'll be torture for you and pleasure for me, and it's like, oh good, so this is, uh, this is, this is, this is playing on some very, 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 very old and unsavory tropes about gay men. I mean, I feel like it's very difficult to have transphobia without a healthy dash of homophobia. And also, to be honest... Transphobia's cousin. Yeah. And also, transphobia's cousin, uh, misogyny, usually likes to come along for the ride, too. Mm. So, honestly, the idea of queer people being separated and pitted against each other is just a tactic by the right to weaken us. Because, you know... Homophobia loves to come along for the ride when transphobia is driving. So, this next part's... God, yeah, so we're cutting between Rigel yelling at the uh, doctor guy to finish making the cure, the guy threatening to sexually assault John, and Scorpius taking in their pain and purging it with his super strong scarin body. So Aaron and Sakozu were on the floor dying and the woman was kind of taunting them a little bit. Honestly, I don't know if she was taunting them or if she was genuinely, or if she was genuine when she said, um, I wish I could, I wish I could kill you and end this faster. And then, you know, whatever Scorpius did took effect and you see Aaron's like face kind of clear and she's like, oh, oh, I, I feel better now. This bitch is in trouble. Also, the guy, the doctor guy is starting to explain about mollusks again, and Rachel bites his nose off in a scene which is super bloody. I didn't think of myself as having a thing about noses being bitten off because I didn't think about it as a thing, but it happened in Harley Quinn and it happened here, and both times I was like, oh, that's really, really gross. I would be okay never seeing that ever again. That's what I thought when we saw it in Harley Quinn, and then it happened to show up in this episode. Why? Why? Anyway, Aaron is, you know, has some energy left, so she kicks the woman. And apparently that's all it took. Like, literally one kick. If you could have gotten away with one kick, I feel like we didn't need to be here in the first place. I feel like you could have settled all of this before it got to the point where you were about to die. And then, 
Oh, and John beats up the guy now that he's not feeling so sick from the combination of psychic torture and, I guess, mollusk pooping. Yeah. And then we have a line that, on the one hand, feels pretty transphobic, but it also kind of reminds me of this TikTok noise that's going around right now. The TikTok noise is uh, being used by a lot of non-binary people, and it's, uh, if there are more than two genders, what's in your pants? And then people will pull out a sword or a bottle of wine or the core rules for D&T. <laughs> and anyway, so... It reminds me of this TikTok sound, but it also feels really transphobic when John says it, where he jumps up on the couch like Tom Cruise and says, hey, ladies, does anybody have this in their pants? And then he reaches yeah, just, do un- any under of you their have skirt. This under your, yeah. And then he, he reaches under his skirt and pulls out his gun and just starts firing randomly into the crowd, which I didn't mention it last episode, but there's a lot of people randomly firing it into crowds which i think reads differently in 90s australia than it does in 2020s america yeah like it's a thing in a lot of episodes of farscape that's sort of deeply uncomfortable in the environment we're currently in yeah i feel like a lot of sci-fi is like that because that's the whole point of sci-fi is to be a warning and we have blindly ignored all of that Mm. so in case you just need one last shot of like horrifyingness once Rigel has the cure, he force feeds the mollusk stuff to the doctor, the the leftover mollusk, and then he says that he's going to leave the rest of it outside for, like, the birds and the bugs to eat so that this guy will slowly die being connected to the birds and the bugs. And that's what's going to happen. That's the death that this guy is going to face. Well, the guy says... No, the Skiblicks will get it or whatever. And I kind of assumed that was like a class thing. And I thought a, it was like flies. Yeah, which I think is also a read that you can do on it. Like just the fact that they used a fake term, but I guess that could be like an animal or a different thing. Yeah, no, I just thought it was like the flies will get to it and then he'll die like that. Because I, I got to assume that people are not normally just going to eat food that they find sitting outside the door hmm. especially not just especially not clams that kill you so everybody is back on the ship they all have the antidote they all join hands and Rachel makes a thing about it. he's like i'm hungry can i eat while we're waiting and uh, aaron's like no not while we're still psychically connected and john's like well i mean you're not psychically connected anymore that's the first thing that goes away when you take the cure and she's like i don't care rigel can't eat while i'm still connected to him and then somebody is like wait scorpius ate the clams why doesn't he come up and like bond with us too and then we see scorpius in his cell like vomit up the clams because apparently that's something he's able to do why the end Ugh. what a weird way to what a weird episode what a weird way to end the episode what what are we doing here? I don't even know. I can't wait for next week. Yeah, revisiting it did not do this episode any favors because I felt like you warned me too much when we were actually watching it. I was like, yeah, that wasn't that bad. That was fine. And then talking about it, I'm like, oh, no, I forgot how much of the episode is around the parts of it that I do like. Well, OK, so the thing about transphobic tropes is that it's really easy to see them. And it's what makes them insidious. It's really easy to see them and go, oh, it's not that bad. It's just they they wore dresses so that they could infiltrate a club. It's not that it's not that big a deal. Don't don't overthink it, Mm. because when you overthink it and you start to explain, okay, but explain to me why this is funny. You once you start to talk about, okay, but why is this here? Why are we doing it this way? You can't help but unpack 
what it is that makes it transphobic. So as I said at the top, I'm like, it's no more transphobic than this trope usually is. But then as we talk about it, I'm like, man, this trope is fucking transphobic. So that'll do it for this episode. Next week, we're talking about unrealized reality. Crichton falls into a wormhole and meets up with a strange man who shows him the consequences of wormhole travel. And you know what? I want to leave it there. I don't even want to do segments. Oh, okay. Unless you had something you wanted to talk about. Not really. I mean, I guess I kind of liked the uh, Chiana connecting with the lady about how they're both from repressive cultures. But I mean, that's... There wasn't really any super cool creature design, and the universe did not need this expansion. Yeah, I think that's why I didn't want to do our segments this week, because it's like, one of our segments is, like, what world building worked for you? This this is a part of the world that should have been kept unbuilt. I like the exploration of what tormented space is, but I don't oh. think this is the first episode that that... I feel like, I don't know, maybe, because... No, I think this is the first episode where they explicitly said that one of the problems for Moya is the way that the radiation, like, is just buzzing in her brain. Okay, that was important. We could have done that in a different episode, but yeah. yeah. Okay, that was good. Our show is partially listener-supported. If you want to be one of those supporters, head over to our website, www.welcometotelevision.net, and click on our Patreon link. We'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Rosa, Ryan, Maracruz, Benjamin, Kate, Jen, and Dan. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you could always rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode, or any episode, or any episode of any television show, you can email us at ilovetelevisionzines at gmail.com or tweet at us at ilovetvzines. So until next time, I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And this has been Welcome to the Uncharted Territories, except not anymore. Except now it's Welcome to Tormented Space. Bong, space sound. Except now we're not changing the name. Yeah.